Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 268. I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so pleased that you're here with me today as I talk to Emma Brody on how to hit the reset button in your own writing. And that has something to do with opening up, branching out, trying new things uh, in a fun way. So I want you to stick around for that. She is delightful. You're going to love listening to her. Talk about her fantastic book. Um, What is going on around here? Well, I think I mentioned that I took a student's challenge to also do nano this year. I am nano rhymoing, I am nano reveling, and I am revising replenish. And finally, oh my God, I realized I wrote this book. I started this book in 2017. Yeah, and wrote it for most of 2018. And that's a long time for it to sit. And I have started on revisions in the past for it and things got busy and I had to do other things. Other things took over on my plate because my plate is very big and I keep it full of many, many things. So I am finally having time to do that. And it is wonderful and really hard. And and it is the kind of work that is my favorite work. I love creative nonfiction. You know, I love my Patreon essays. And these are essays that I wrote for Patreon during a year I was trying to fill my creative well. And uh, that kind of revising takes creativity. It also takes some self-forgiveness because, oh my God, it's a little navel-gazy and I like to take out some of the navel-gaze and uh, make it funnier and make it more real, more authentic. Um, It comes out authentic anyway, but with the advantage of having some time, I can look at it a little bit differently. I, I don't know. I'm just really enjoying the time I'm spending on the page and it feels like play, and it also feels nice and difficult. Uh, And there's that David Bowie quote that I love, um, paraphrase because I won't get it exactly right, but he says, when you feel like your feet can't touch the bottom of the pool, you're probably right in the right spot. And they have proven that happiness and flow, entering the state of flow, come when we are challenging ourselves right up to the edge. Um, Not when we're doing the same things we know how to do well, all the time, but when it is challenging, when we are spending time using whatever level of expertise we have, even if it's brand new and fresh, um, but we're acting just at the top edge of that zone where we just don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off. That's where happiness comes from. Uh, and that's where I'm at in my writing right now. So that's awesome. Um, I, we're still loving the house, loving the house, loving being in the house and the flowers. If you look on Instagram, there have been some amazing flowers. This one rose bush right outside my window is going gangbusters. And when I pick the flowers, they must've been bred for, please indulge me for one moment. They must've been bred for this, that to be put as a cut flower into water, they expand into these ruffles and then they stay. The I have one vase that's already six or seven days old and the they're still just big and ruffled and 
gorgeous smelling and all of that. Um, so that has been really wonderful mucking about in the garden. Um, I put, a I put a thing on TikTok. If you follow me over there, Rachel Heron, uh, going through the shed that is up in the back and falling down. And then the, um, rather terrible sculpture that I found under some Ivy, those kind of wonderful, uh, things are happening and we get to explore and we've been exploring the world and our neighborhood. Oh my God. Speaking of exploring, I went to RWNZ, Romance Rogers of New Zealand on Saturday and it was everything. Oh my gosh. I think there were only 13 people there. We were in a woman's house and they were my people. I could have cried coming home. Uh, because I had found them. I had found my people. We all spoke the same language. We all spoke obsessively about the craft of writing and romance writers know their stuff. They truly know what is happening in the market right now. They know marketing, they know promotion, they know craft, and all we want to do is talk about it. And so it was this just amazing coming together of women talking about this stuff. And I could not have been happier. They were cool. They were funny. They were raunchy. They were, um, so smart, so freaking smart. And I'm still riding the high of that. I'm also riding the high of this, uh, conference that I went to all weekend called Ram, uh, which is romance authors mastermind, another incredible group of romance writers. Although this one was, I think it was about 800 strong. I'm not sure. It was all done online. I actually took a break from the conference to run out of town 30 minutes to go to the local Romance Writers of New Zealand meeting. But RAM is, I think you have to have five, five or more books published before you are allowed to attend RAM. It is very high level marketing stuff. Very, very high level marketing. And basically after every session that I watched and every Q&A that I watched, I was like, okay, which, how many can I write 12 series of four books each this year? Um, those ridiculous ideas come to you. They won't leave you alone. How will I, how will I make Facebook ads work to sell the book I will write today and finish today and put out tomorrow? Um, but it was exciting and it was so wonderful listening to people really doing it, really getting it done. And of course I left the conference knowing that I write the way I write. And I write at my speed. I am never going to be a book a month gal. I'm never going to be even a book every three months gal. I wish I was. I sometimes pull off every four months. Um, I think I had one book, one year where I had four books come out, but that was kind of an accident. Normally I'm one book a year to three books a year. I'm right in there. But I also left the conference knowing that I really want to go more all in on self-publishing fiction. And I think I have been moving there. I may have even talked about it on on this show, but there is a book series I have in mind. It is women's fiction. It is uh, with a touch of light, magical realism. And uh, I don't know, y'all. I might just go straight to indie. I might I might not even give it to my agent. I hope my agent doesn't listen to the show. Um, I I don't think she has time. She has twins and a job uh, as an agent, so she doesn't have time. But so don't tell her, okay? But I feel like I know more now about how to publish a book than my most recent traditional publishers have known. And I love them so much. I love the publisher I'm with 
so much right now. Uh, but publishing as an industry is just having a hard time with the market. You know who doesn't have a hard time? People like I was hanging out with on the weekend at RAM and at RWNZ. We know how to get the books out. We know how to get them seen. We know how to get them read. And I know this stuff. So that's where I'm leaning today. I, you know me, I could swing tomorrow and say, I've just given a proposal for a brand new series that is not women's fiction or magical realism to my agent. And I'm going to have her try to sell it. But that is where I'm leaning now. Right now I am leaning towards finishing, replenishing, finishing, replenish, getting it off my desk and, uh, then writing the next novel. I've really missed writing novels. I have not done that in Gosh, I haven't done it in probably almost a year. I have been writing so much nonfiction. Um, no wonder I miss it. No, it's less than a year, maybe eight months. But um, but nothing's coming out. The next thing that is coming out for me in fiction is the paperback of Hush Little Baby. And I think that comes out in three or four months. I should probably find out when that is and maybe give it a push. So that is how I'm thinking and what I'm thinking. And um, all of this to say, do you have a writing community? If you don't, how can you get one? Can you look at the meetups in your in your local region, wherever you are? Uh, can you join RW, whatever it is, where you live, if their beliefs are aligned with yours? In 2020, RWA kind of imploded for some really necessary reasons. So I'm not just going to say jump into any writing group, but you do need a community. You do need people who are like-minded, who think like you about writing and who also want to spend their off time doing this wild and wacky thing that we do. Um, are you getting some writing done? Are you fitting that in? Are you finding 15, 20 minutes at a time to do a little bit? Um, if you ever want to join my group, it's free. It's over on Slack. I should be more active in there. And I am, I'm probably in there a few times a week. Uh, it's always at the um, bottom of the show notes for this. So wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on YouTube or on a podcast, you can find the Slack group down there and it's free to join. Just come join and say hello. Join in some of the sprints. There's a bunch of people over there doing nano. So um, do find some people that you can be with. It's so important. Um, it's almost as important as getting terrible first draft words written. It is not as important, but it is right up there. Uh, I'm not doing a middle of the show ad read for my own stuff. Like I usually do. I usually stick something in there because with, um, permission, I'm going to share this Instagram message that I got. So back in 2020, I got this message from Dr. Zoe Shaw and she says, Hi there. I just finished reading slash listening to your book, Fast Draft, your memoir. I'm pretty sure it changed my life. I can't be 100% sure because I haven't exactly finished my memoir. I started listening to your book on the drive to my weekend writing retreat last weekend. I have read a lot of books on writing and memoir writing specifically. This book challenged, educated, and inspired me in such a way that I am convinced I can really finish this thing. I am in the phase of editing my first completed draft. I have never written an author before, but I needed to thank you for being exactly what I needed in the middle of my doubt storm. Thank you. So amazing, right? Absolutely humbled, grateful that she sent that to me. Uh, fast forward to October 20th when she sent me this message. 
And she says, again, shared with permission. She says, Rachel, I wrote to you over a year and a half ago. I was on my way to my writing retreat, filled with doubt, but trying to hang on. Your book was my lifeline. I just wanted to thank you for your encouragement. Although it took me a year, I finally finished that darn memoir and the proposal. Within two weeks of querying, I had three offers and signed with my agent two weeks ago. Thank you. Thank you. I religiously listened to your podcast and I feel like I know you as a friend, although we've never met. Uh, Zoe, I'm so flippin' proud of you and I am so excited for you and I mean it when I say that I want you to keep me posted um, with how this goes who picks it up, and when I can buy it. And um, thank you for giving me such a cool thing to say about my own book, Fast Draft Your Memoir. So if anybody wants to pick that up, they can. It is everything I know about memoir, but it's also everything I know about story structure, character arc, and revision, all in one little book. Um, Whatever you learn about memoir, it works for fiction. So if you haven't picked that up, it's a good time. There's actually a workbook. Oh my gosh, my assistant would kill me if I didn't say there's a new workbook out for Fast Draft Your Memoir with tons of questions that you can actually work your way through. So that is out there. And Zoe, you're amazing. Keep me posted, please. Okay, let us jump into the interview with Emma Brody. I know that you're going to enjoy it and I will talk to you soon. Please get some writing done and then tell me about it. I would love to hear. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show today, Emma Brody. Hello, Emma. Hi, Rachel. So, so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I've been looking forward to this. I loved your book, by the way, and we're going to talk about that. Let me give you a little bit of an introduction. Emma Brody has worked in book publishing for a decade, most recently as an executive editor at Little Brown's Voracious Imprint. She graduated from the John Hopkins University's Writing Seminars Program and is a longtime contributor to have Poe and a faculty member at Catapult. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and their dog, Freddie Mercury, which is the best name. Songs in Ursa Major is her debut novel. And that is correct, right? This is your first novel being published out there that we know about? Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any fake names yet. <laughs> Not yet. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute because I have a big listenership of people who are writing in order to have a book out there to sell at some point to readers. How has that felt having your debut book come out? It is such a trip. It's been amazing. <laughs> like it's, it's so surreal. Um, getting to see it in stores is incredible. Like hearing from people who are reading it is incredible. It's, it's just really surreal because like, as I'm sure your listeners who are writing their books, like, no, you are so close to these characters. You're so used to doing it yourself and being in this little echo chamber of your own invention. And then when people come up to you and they know your characters' names and have strong feelings about them, it's just the most rewarding thing. So it's, it's been crazy. It's, it's a vulnerable process. Like you're out there and people like can write things about you. It's that part's been like a trip. It's been intense, but, um, all in all, I've had a really positive experience and it's, it's really real. That's, (laughs) that's how it's been real. Also, your cover is incredible. And I just noticed Mm -hmm. that you're also translated to German and that is so, so cool. That must have felt great. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about that whole, because you are in the publishing industry. So you understand how publishing works and you understand that nobody likes all books and that you're going to get great reviews and then you're going to get some not great reviews. Have you gotten any bad reviews and how did you handle them? 
Oh my goodness. Well, okay. So I have the odd, you know, bad review on Amazon, Goodreads, like those places, yeah, which, which is whatever. I, you know, everyone who cares about me is like, don't yes. read that. But I it's, read it. And especially not Goodreads. Like, Goodreads is yeah, exactly worst for that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's where you go when you just really want to beat yourself up. Um, it's like, one oh, of my, my head's getting too big. Let's go to Goodreads. One of my friends, Jay Wells, um, said that it's like signing yourself up for a drive-by shooting. There's going to <laughs> <laughs> Very um yep I had one review come out that was basically positive but was like your sex scenes um sound like they're from a different book and I have felt so self-conscious because that's like the one part it's like it's like I have uncles like my dad and my brother reading this like for some reason I'm sexist about this and I'm fine with like my female relatives reading it but like the men I'm just like I don't like why do we have to bring this up and put it in a in a review and you just have to pretend that that doesn't that they're not reading those parts that's just the rule that's the rule yes that's actually like my secret app idea is to have an app where you can, as an author, send your book in and they will censor parts. And then you can give those parts to your relatives. I would pay it's so a much niche money market. for that. <laughs> you get so much money from authors for that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be like me with a, with a Sharpie, but like, you know, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg started small. I feel like that could be me. Um, yeah, like I'll say this. This is how I bolstered myself from that review. No women who have read the book have complained to me about my sex scenes. So I thought they I'm were great. I'm going to put that out there. I thought they were great and they did not feel like they belonged in a different book or with a different voice. And I have to I have to confess something about your book before we get into the questions is that yes, um every everybody don't don't tell what's her name the writer whose name begins with the T I can't remember uh who wrote uh, 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 yeah 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 uh, Daisy Jones and the Six I did not like that book I don't I know it's it's blasphemy blasphemy it's, it's blah, and I tried like three times and your book is not like hers your book is yours and it's gorgeous um and it just happens Thank to you. be also about music um but oh we're gonna go okay well let's get into your book a little bit in in a minute and what it's about um but for right now can you please tell us about your writing process when and where and how you get it done also balancing it with your career in publishing which I can imagine is just so weird and hard to do I love these questions I I love your podcast by the way and yeah I I don't know the answer. This is, this is my answer is I don't know. So, and I'm trying to figure it out. So I'm just going to spit out a lot of stuff and maybe you can tell yes. me. Your process. <laughs> so when I was writing this book, um, I actually just read the artist way for the first time. So I have Julia Cameron or J cam in my head at the moment. Um, and I love her and I actually, I read two more of her books. I was so into it. So I feel like I like sort of instinctively did a few things that she kind of recommends where I had the idea originally in 2018 and I had these two pieces of it. Like I knew I wanted to do something about this matriarchal family on an island, which was like pure selfish escapism. Like initially it was gonna be a contemporary story and the story actually ended up taking place as historic fiction in 1969, 71, 72. Um, But in the beginning, it was about a thinly veiled me um, as all the best stories are. (laughs) Of course, and then that keeps happening, yeah. (laughs) And I also knew there was gonna be a music aspect to it as well and I couldn't really reconcile those two pieces and then a year later I read Daisy Jones and I was like oh this sort of gives me permission to try that crazy idea that I didn't think would sell like this is sort of 
a theme of my, my writing process and my writing exploration is like balancing the sort of executive functioning side of what I know from being an editor in the trade with my creative side, which like wants to play and try lots of things and explore. Um, and so initially I think my executive side was like, this is two categories. Like they can't mix. I don't know how this is going to work. And then when I read that book, I was like, actually, I think my like witchy woman rock star book could actually be a thing. I'm going to give it a try. So I started researching. That was probably like the first kickoff. I'd messed around a little bit the year before, left it alone for about a year. Um, and I read a bunch of books about female performers. I was like in initially homing in on Dolores O'Riordan. And like, you can kind of see a little bit of the vestigial tale of that because oh, the Cranberries are, yeah. are like two brothers and another guy and a girl and Jane's band ended up being like the same composition. Oh yeah. Um, and then I went back in time because I was doing all these timelines, figuring it out. And basically like, as I continued to research, I, I eventually started writing. So then the writing didn't come at first. I was pretty disciplined. Like I showed up every day. I was trying to do it. I had, I had basically read everything I thought I needed to read for the book, which of course was nowhere near the whole book's worth of research. Um, by like the end of May of 2019. And in June, I had like cleared my schedule. I was like, I'm going to start this. And I did start. And I wrote about 15,000 words that were just not right. Like the book was kind of dark. And I was like exploring all of these like themes that like, honestly, like it felt like it was getting away from me. I wasn't really sure what was happening. But looking back, I kind of needed to clear the pipes a bit, like go through some of my own things and Part of what I'm working on now is like doing that more regularly so that when I sit down to, you know, do a new project, I don't have to get out like a year's worth of bilge that's kind of in there. What a great um, way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, that's what was happening. And then I wrote this scene just sort of out of the blue. Like I had in my head, like probably about three different scenes that I knew I wanted to try that were part of the original, like shell of the project and when the like chick inside began to crack its way out I wrote a scene that was like the three bandmates Jane has three bandmates Kyle Rich and Greg and they were talking to this reporter Mark Edison and it felt like super alive and it was moving it had this movement to it and they all had very distinct ways of talking and that was a moment I like looked up from working that day and I was sort of trying to aim to hit 1500 words a day at that point I was like okay it doesn't matter if they're crap it doesn't matter if they're all adverbs, like we're just going to try to fill this and do this. I looked up after that day and I was like, that went really fast. That felt really real. I think this might actually be the beginning of the book. And so I scrapped everything I had done and I started with Jane wow. at this concert. And that was where, and, I, and from there, I just kind of chased it. And I had like very, I knew that I wanted like something big to happen at 12 chapters in. I knew I wanted something big to happen at like 38 chapters in. In my head, I was thinking like 50 chapters, 1500 to 2000 words a chapter. That'll get me to hundred thousand words. Mm -hmm. And other than that, like I knew a couple key plot points, but the rest was like, what will happen? Like I knew like one thing I needed to happen per chapter. And then everything else was just kind of exploring. Like the first draft was just like blue sky, like, what would happen next? What would happen next? And I think that was informed by the amount of research that I had done, just reading the trajectories of these different pop stars from that era. There were certain things that had, you know, trended <laughs> in what I had read. And so, like, you know, when Jane goes to record, I was like, oh, and it felt sort of like there were these vines that I was grabbing, like these narrative vines that I was kind of braiding together. And then I put the book away 
is this like more information than you this is i'm fascinated i i'm I'm, I'm (laughs) devoted to this please keep going okay i put the book away after i had a draft and left it alone for two months and then i reread it was that by choice or were you just were you just happening to be really busy then or did you want that space it was, it was totally by choice. Yeah. Like that Stephen King book on writing, he talks about resting the manuscript and I, I totally subscribe to that. Um, and so I rested it and then I came back with fresh eyes, reread it and wrote myself like a 17 page editorial letter. <laughs> that is so hilarious because the part of it that you're probably not scared of is the editing process, right? Because you've seen authors come in with really shitty books that you know that they can make into something good and strong and you wrote your own revision letter I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that that's hilarious totally nerded (laughs) out and I had to like really put on the hat like act out the part you know um but it freed me up like having been away from it for so long it was like okay like it felt like me but it wasn't necessarily me even though it was yeah (laughs) yeah and there were lots of parts of the book where I was like love what you're going for here but like this is terrible like truly horrendous so I like mapped out a revision plan for myself do you think that you were um were you harsher on yourself because it's yourself in your revision letter, or did didn't... you actually include some kindness like good, good job Emma I, I didn't mince words <laughs> um <laughs> but I think like I felt, I felt, I felt a genuine, I didn't like articulate this in the letter, if that's what you're asking, but I did yeah. take a moment to like feel appreciation for like okay, having good. finished it and like feeling like what was there, what was the bones? Like I was happy with what was there and I wasn't like totally demoralized when I looked back and it wasn't terrible. So I think that was, that was good. That was helpful. Yes. Um, <laughs> so and then, then you made yourself I a plan. Made the plan. Action made the plan and uh, went into it where I was like, I'm going to edit this. I'm going to edit this. And I went into my Word docs. I saved down a new version of each chapter and I opened up track changes and I completely (laughs) rewrote the book saying that it was an edit, you know, like, like when you look at the draft one and draft two, um, it's like all red in draft two, (laughs) except like Jane, Jesse, like there are these like odd black words that kind of like made it through because, you know, they're proper nouns. <laughs> they're like the characters' names. But uh, I, I rewrote it. I think I was just kind of tricking myself into, totally. into doing it and calling it like, oh, it's just an edit. It's not a, re- it's not a total rewrite. It's an edit. And it was, of course, a total rewrite because I then had to do an actual edit on the rewrite. <laughs> but um, that was how I tricked myself into doing it and not being intimidated. And like, I'm very in favor of these little tricks of having like small chapters, right? Like, like editing a hundred thousand words is absolutely terrifying, mm-hmm. but you know, we've all had to edit school papers. Like we can all basically get behind 1500 words or 2000 words. So it was like systematically lying to myself and then going for, going for the effect I wanted. And it was, I've never worked that hard in my life. It was unbelievably hard, but so rewarding And right up until the end, I was like saying to my husband, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to actually like get there. He's like, you have one chapter left. I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) This is where it all falls apart. (laughs) Really on the line here. Cause that was like how hard I was pushing myself. Like, I remember we were like at Thanksgiving, I was like, I have to leave. I have to go back to a different state and finish my book. He's like, all right. But you know, 
it was, it was probably the first time I've ever really given myself permission to take myself that seriously as an artist. And it was important to do, like, it's important to take those little stands, even though your whole family's like, okay, bye, we're watching football. Like you didn't need to like storm out of here or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how I did Ursa. So now I'm in the moment of like, well, how do I do it again? <laughs> so do you have another contract for another book? And are you no, doing no, that? No, 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 not yet. No, okay. I have to figure out like my idea and sort of yeah. like write it a bit. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I wonder. Yeah, I'd love to get your feedback on that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard place to be when you've got the one book out and you're trying to come up with the next idea and write something. I'm still doing it after like eight months after my last contract or something like that. I still don't, I still don't have anything that I feel comfortable giving to my agent and saying, okay, let's, let's take this out. I just, it just takes time sometimes, I think. It totally um, does. Well, it's like, and if yeah. you love your work, it's like, you're like, well, I'm not over this yet. I'm still attached and I'm trying to get there. So did, did Julia Cameron, was her voice in your head, the thing that allowed you to, uh, to let yourself suck on the page? Because as an editor, I can imagine that that was very difficult. Like those voices of criticism, that's your job. So I actually only just read her this summer. Okay. Um, so I it was not that. I kind of wish I had read Artist's Way back then. Yeah. Like I picked up Artist's Way as part of my journey to figure out like book two. Yeah. And I, I think I was just very aware of like a cacophony, like a chorus. Like there were certain people that I work with who I would hear exactly what they would say about the book as I was writing it. And like deciding to suck on the page was like a radical move as like a Hail Mary pass to like get those people out of the room. And it totally worked. I um, love that. A radical, radical move. Hail, Hail Mary pass for that. Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly how it feels. Like you have to, you must embrace crap on the page. You have to, otherwise it doesn't get you done. Totally, you totally do. Well, and I imagine like other people are you're like, you're in this position, like I am now where it's like, then I didn't have an agent or an editor. So it was just sort of like this amorphous, like my yeah. colleagues and like other people that I admire um, and now it's like, I have specific people that I'm thinking about, which in a way is even more like subversive because it's like, you know, their tastes and it's really hard to like, know that. So it's, it's good. So I think like, I'm in this moment right now of trying to like recenter and be like, okay, like who am I without all these voices? So I think it's, I guess what I'm saying is like, it's definitely an ongoing process and like, I'm through the challenges of the first book. And now there, it, this reminds me, like I had a dog, I have a dog, as you know. He's still alive, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> Just heard him bark, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this. <laughs> exactly. He's like he's made the podcast, which is his only goal Yay! at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Freddie. Um, yeah, sweet Freddie, sweet disruptive Freddie. Um. Anyway, like when we were when we first had him, you know, there were the whole host of challenges of dealing with him being like inside the house. And then we finally like got through his shots. We're able to take him out. And I remember that day just like crying. So I was like, oh my God, now there are so many new challenges, like cars, like things we didn't have to deal with before that I wasn't even thinking about because I was just so focused on getting to the next point. So I'm having like that moment. And it's interesting. It's like, it's great to see like, because my whole life is my dream has been to like publish a book, publish a book, publish a book. And now I did it. And now it's like, okay, so what's life after the dream. And it's, it's like, you well, you keep going, you keep dreaming and you keep having goals, but it's, it's harder to map because you don't know, you realize at that point that the market is so, is such a crapshoot is such a like lottery. It's interesting. 
and having that piece of it be involved in your process is like a new thing for me and it's a different way. That's so interesting. And even where you are in the industry, it still feels that weird, like walking, walking off the plank into the unknown, like the fool card in the tarot. Whereas, and I just had this, this thought pop into my brain that, you know, we, we always, we mock movies and stuff for ending, you know, the happily ever after the Disney wedding and they lived happily ever after. But that is what a lot of writers feel about writing is that we feel like the happily ever after is the day my book is published and somebody can buy it. And nobody talks about next Wednesday after that, like what, what, what happens when you go to the grocery store? Do you feel like an author? No, you just feel like yourself. Although now you feel a little bit more at sea because you never thought about what this would feel like. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. I'm so glad that you're there and I get, I'm going to get to watch you move forward through <laughs> this successfully because that's what happens. But okay. So can you tell us about your biggest challenge when it comes to actually getting the writing done? Um, what is my biggest challenge? I guess that's a really good question. I think, I think probably like blocking out time is big. Um, like I haven't figured out how to successfully integrate writing into like a full schedule. Cause it's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Well, and part of what I found is that like you know, I'm, I'm a extroverted introvert. Like I can talk to other people. I can, you know, I love, this is great. But, and the rest of the night, I'm going to go sit and be quiet. Yep. <laughs> and, um, what I've found is that it's not just necessarily like, okay, I need an hour to write. It's also, I need to not be drained for the rest of that time with other extroverted tasks. So guarding your energy is so hard for me. And I think like anyone who's writing with a full-time job can probably relate to this. Like I never realized until I was taking on a project that was taking this much of my brain power um, and concentration and like courage, how many little interactions I had throughout the day. And like what I'm saying right now is a little bit dated because now a lot of people's work has totally changed because of COVID. Like mine has too. And I no longer have to deal with like water cooler conversations because I have the privilege of being able to work from home. Um, But at the time I was doing URSA, like it was constant and having to figure out how to like, you know, maintain my life, like still talk to my husband occasionally, like still like, you know, have, have my work relationships and my friendships um, while also basically not wanting to speak to another human soul for like six months. Uh, <laughs> that was, that's something that I'm looking to improve. I think that might, that might be, oh, I do have advice. Um, I have the best we're going to talk about on the show at some point, but if you haven't read 4,000 weeks yet, grab 4,000 oh, weeks. It. It's the okay. best book on time management. And it's not really about time management. It's kind of speaking to exactly what we're talking about right here about guarding energy and about where right. we put our energy. Um, it's fantastic. It's like, so that out sounds of amazing. It's I'm so out go of the box. After this. You will love it. You will love, oh my God, love I can't it. Wait. You will love it. Um, but that is so, so, so important and essential. And I just don't think we ever get it right. And accepting that we're not going to get it right. has been pretty big for me recently in thinking about that. Just, you know, we have, we have the, we have the ups and downs. What about your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh my God. I love writing. So, um, it's yeah, the whole thing is really, really fun. Like I love that beginning phase we were talking about of like just free open blue sky, getting to explore. I also really like the sort of like puzzle solviness of editing, um, and, and getting to rework through things. I love when you go, like, I liked that moment between 
the big first draft and the big second draft because I obviously had many subsequent redrafts after that um, where I was sort of like re-meeting the characters and like it was sort of like they had all appeared but their eyes were still closed and they hadn't like opened and become animated yet and I love that (laughs) what a good analogy well it's so true right because it's like you're just go like if you're trying to just go through it like what you're writing are like things that you have at your fingertips like it's all going to be cliche dialogue it's all going to be like little interactions that mirror like things from your favorite movies this and that and you know Willie who's Jane's manager in the book was kind of a stock character in the first draft like I kind of thought of him as just like a weak corporate yes man who like pretended to be cool and on the level and then at the last minute like wouldn't stick by Jane and then when I reworked the book I realized that like Willie and Jane are actually like foils for each other and they have much more in common as like polar forces in the book than Jane and Jesse who's her romantic interest and that was huge because then Willie became like my favorite character in the whole book and he I feel like I met him for the second time for the first time in the second draft and it was so amazing to see him become like animated and interesting Um, and there were a lot of moments like that in the second part. Like there were so many moments, like when there's a part where is, you know, having the cover shoot for her first album, her debut album, and she's in the photo with her band. And it's like this moment where she kind of improvises. And that was something that I just kind of watched unfold. Like that's chapter 11 or 12 of the book so I was and I was editing in sequence so I had already like sort of racked up enough Jane to start to see her move on her own and it was just so exciting because like she's my main character and getting to watch her her actually like begin to leap off the page for me as as the first reader slash writer of the book that was like that was the moment where I felt proud like to go back to your earlier question like I was like wow you're doing it you're you're doing it you're flying (laughs) I love that so much. And I think that's what I love about that big second, I call it the make sense draft where things start to make sense and their eyes start to open. They're, I just, I can't get over that analogy. It's so good. They're, they're alive for a long time, but not real. And then one day they velveteen rabbit and become real. And I love that. such a good feeling. Okay. Can you share a craft tip of any kind with us? Um. I would say I I love craft tips. What is the one that comes to me right now? I would say I would say I would say you should think about working and not about being fabulous. This is another Whoa. like paraphrased Stephen King ism but I think a lot of people come to writing as like something they can do they have ideas in their head from murder she wrote or from younger and they're focused on like what they're gonna say in the tv interview after the book comes out even though like in reality that's like not really a part of publishing unless you're one of like a very select bunch of authors um and they get they, they like intimidate themselves and I think just focusing on like writing a good book, not like the best book and thinking about it as a job has been very helpful for me. Um, yeah, that, I guess that would be my craft tip. That's such a good craft tip. I was just, uh, re-listening to, uh, what's his name? Green, Hank Green, is that that him? Hank Green talking about like getting the project to 80%. 
just get it to 80% and then move on. And that's going to be good enough for a lot of this. And, and, you know, if you, yeah, I just, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, what thing in your life uh, affects your writing in a surprising way? What a good question. Um, I would say in a surprising way, I think about writing all the time and I think about reading all the time and my job is about books. So I, I'm gonna, I'm like, what surprises me? Like what genuinely surprises me? I think what, like when you're taking on a long project, the thing I find the most surprising is that you get to this point where like, even if you've done a lot of research, even if you have a really strong idea of where you're going, where you're just like in a desert and all you can see ahead of you is like your flashlights length Mm -hmm. and at a certain point you just start making things up and that's the part where the most surprises come up for me when it's like I'm groping around in the dark and like suddenly my hands on something that I didn't even like realize was in there like I have a character in my book this guy Hannibal Fang who's like kind of a Mick Jagger-esque dude he's a rock star and he is not like he is not someone I have ever met but apparently he is someone who was like inside of me when I needed to write like a big Hollywood flashy party and stuff like that is so delightful. And in a way, like when you go back and you're revising for like the 20th time, it's those people and characters that are so far like on the extreme of your project that you're actually like really happy to see because you can get very like emotionally wrung out by your main characters and all their drama. Um, And I think the things that I come up with on the periphery are the ones that shock me the most. Cause I'm like, like there's certain things like in my book where Jane eats foods that I don't like personally. And I'm like, why am I having this like long meditation on scallops? Like I don't even like seafood, but like, there's a whole thing there. And like that kind of thing is fascinating to me. And that's another way that I feel proud when you're, when you actually achieve a character that's like completely separate from yourself, especially when you started out with an idea that was basically like escapism for yourself, you're like, okay, we're really doing something here. Like this is going to be a real book because she is not me. And I can see that separateness in terms of our seafood taste. (laughs) That is absolutely gorgeous and so fun. And it honestly makes me like long for getting back into writing. Like I'm going to write in about 25 minutes with my with my writer's group and I'm like I can't wait to get my fingers on the keyboard yeah that's great delicious that's a delicious feeling okay um (laughs) what is the best this is gonna be hard for you what is the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it and we're talking like probably a book as my agent always says with covers on it because you're reading a lot of books without covers yet that is so true okay so books that are out there um all right well I've been like in a weird reading area. Like the three books that I read most recently are like Artist's Way um, and Margaret's autobiography. Don't know why, just like picked it up. It was great. She, she's very, she's very transparent. Like she had a lot of drama and it's exactly the level of drama that you want right now, I think um, in this like Delta variant atmosphere. (laughs) And I'm reading this amazing romance by this author, Evie Dunmore, who I'm completely obsessed with. It's her third book. Uh-huh. She's written three books in 18 or she's published three books in 18 months. And they're historic romances with a feminist bent. So all of the heroines are Oxford blue stockings oh. and they have all these different bows. And they're like, honestly, like 
there if they had sad endings they would be high literature like her 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 sex scenes are great <laughs> like all of the different nuances of the characters like she she is brilliant and gets into all these different like socioeconomic pieces within like the history of it all and it's that just so fun they're delicious and she's amazing and so humble like I follow her on Instagram we're friends no big deal um <laughs> not in real life just online but yeah I'm I'm in I'm like three quarters of the way through her new book like I'm coming up on the black moment and I can't wait it's Ooh. like so yeah I read a lot of genres and like across all categories and and that's the one for me that's like I can't wait until later tonight because I'm gonna get to read more of her book what let's go back to the uh the the crew why have I just lost Julia Cameron's title the artist way I was trying to say oh yeah, yeah, yeah um what has stuck with you are you still doing morning pages at all still doing morning pages Me it's too. so fun oh my god how many how been, long have you been doing it I've been doing them off and on since I was probably 20 and I'm 49 so like I just have and I've never read them I've read I started to read them before we moved um and I probably got up I probably went through six or seven years and I was like boy am I bored with myself um <laughs> but they're there there I have them you know they're on a I boat coming hat. to me but yeah <laughs> they're freighting over they're freighting over it. yeah <laughs> they're by Thailand that is amazing right <laughs> that is amazing but you're still doing them yeah so I'm only like three or four weeks in so I I don't have uh I don't have quite the same record, but I'm liking it. Uh, and Just for those, are, those people listening who don't know what the morning pages are, they are three pages, handwritten, longhand in the morning as a brain dump, basically. Perfectly said. It's yeah. like they, they are stream of consciousness. Like sometimes I complain, sometimes yeah. I'm like, Freddie's in here with me and he's making a lot of noise. Um, but it's, it, it does make you like the reason she says to do it in the morning is because then you frame your whole day from there. You've like already accomplished something. And that piece has been wonderful so far. Um, I think the biggest takeaway I've had from her, like, and I'm, I'm rolling, I just read three of her books. So I'm like rolling in a lot of takeaways at the moment from yeah. JCAM. But the one that stuck out to me immediately was how she uses other disciplines of writing to kind of hit the refresh button on her like larger projects. Like part of Ursa Major, my book was, writing songs, songs which poetry like such yeah. a fun thing and I had like very low stakes for myself on that because I was writing as other characters I had to write a lot of them and only like one or two lines from each song would appear in the book but I wrote like 30 songs for that project and it was super fun and cathartic and so what I've been seeing right now as I like contemplate the big scary question of like okay what's book two I feel very nervous about starting a new fiction thing, but I have been writing all these song lyrics because that piece of my writing is still unblocked and I never would have tried or like let myself play over there in that one part of the sandbox that feels very safe at the moment um, if I hadn't been reading her own practices. And she, she gives examples of her own poetry. Like the book I read after Artist Way was A Right to Write. And that one had, I realize I'm contradicting myself and I'm saying the three most recent books I read and I'm like, oh yeah, and this other one, sorry, I can never keep track of like what I'm, what I'm actually reading. A Right to Write has examples. They're like just, it's like 30 or 40 essays on craft. And she talks about, you know, the difficulty of absorbing careless criticism. And then she shared a poem that she clearly wrote like in the moment in response to like an editor reading something like mean to her about something she'd written but it was really interesting to see her do it. And it was totally medicinal. And I was like, I'm going to try this. And it's been really wonderful. Like, I feel like 
a lot of the medicine in writing is in the figurative piece of it and doing song lyrics versus like the morning pages, which are just stream of conscious. They both serve different purposes, but it's sort of nice to have a toe back into the like lyrical part. Um, Cause normally I don't get to that till the end. <laughs> it is another way. I think exactly like you said earlier of clearing the bilge in a different kind of different, different pipes running through our brains. Yes. Oh, yes, is, exactly. It's, oh, it's so fun to talk to you. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. All right. Uh, so can you please now tell us about your book? What a little bit, a little, maybe logline what it's about. Sure. Okay. Songs in Ursa Major is about Jane Quinn, who's an up-and-coming singer-songwriter uh, in 1969, who, you know, she is in a garage band on a remote island, and she ends up getting a big break at this local festival when this like super hot James Taylor S character Jesse Reed doesn't show for the headlining spot and she and her band take over and then from there they end up going on tour with Jesse and Jane and Jesse get, get into a relationship and the result of that relationship is this groundbreaking seminal confessional album songs in Ursa Major which Jane writes so it's the story of like what goes into making that album and then what happens with the album itself and how it's recorded and like the immediate consequences of it and it, it unveils a lot of secrets about Jane's life. And it's just, it's great drama. If you like crying on the beach, like this is, this is, it's the crying on the beach genre. So oh, I, I had it. a lot of fun writing it. <laughs> I have never heard it called the crying on the beach genre. That is one of my very favorite genres to read and to write. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for letting me read it. Thank you for being on the show. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, I am an Instagram addict. I know that's no longer like the cool app, but that's where I am. I'm at Emma C. Brody, um, B-R-O-D-I-E. And <laughs> that's that's where I mostly exist. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. I feel like I got some great advice out of it. This is just the best. And I have to tell you my like absolute favorite teacher, like one of my life mentors is your fan. And she is the one who like turned me onto your podcast. And like, she's the one that like recommended I do this. Ooh. So this is like, her name's Karita Gardner. She's amazing. Oh, Karita. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah she yeah, connected us. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's so, awesome. I'm going to send her a thank you right now. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. And I Thank wish you, you very, very, very happy writing. And we'll talk soon. Oh, likewise. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.